So this episode, guys, is brought to you by Medusa Beard Oil Company. Medusa Beard Oil is not your father's beard oil. It is a beard oil of the gods. They have a Greek line out, which me, it is me and Micah's favorite stuff right now. My personal favorite is the Hercules brand, but they are building up something special, guys. So if you want to check out and get in early with these guys, tell them the Guilty Party sent you. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash Medusa Beard Oil CO. One more time. That is www.facebook.com forward slash Medusa Beard Oil CO. And without further ado, we get into episode. What are we on now, Micah? We are number five. We are, I think it's like five now, man. I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. Four, four, four. We're on number four. It's number four. We're okay. moving really fast, though. Because, I mean, think about it from last year. Yeah. From last year, I think we were at number four after like three or four months. So we're, we're getting the song pretty quick. Well, we had to get our feet wet man we were in the beginning me and you were just like i don't know what we're doing but we're gonna do it and we figured it we're out along the way it. and look yeah. at us now bro we're like you can see our faces no we're doing the dang thing <laughs> but um yeah so guys we have something special for you tonight a uh, personal friend of the podcast uh his name is jonathan lee he's come he he's writing in the uh, book right now an incredible book uh it's the name is the death of the human experience i believe this message is so incredibly uh important for the world to hear uh not only as a society have have we become super distant from each other uh but social media interactions are at an all-time low and at an all-time high of volume and that and what i mean by an all-time low is at all-time low of the energy it is it is putting into this world you have comments being said you have uh, cyber bullying out there. You have so much incredible things, and it's really hurting the interjection of the human experience. And we have a guy that is writing a book right now. It's an incredible book. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jonathan Lee. Well, uh, it's the two of us. I guess we're waiting for Pat to get back on. <laughs> uh, Texas is still trying to catch up from that stupid ice storm. Oh, that? yeah. I've been having uh, a couple of my buddies. They were having power issues again, still like yesterday. I'm like, isn't everything back up? Yeah. Texas for you. <laughs> I figured something like that happened. I mean, it was funny that right as soon as you guys introduced me, they like, I was like, wait a second. What's going on here? I'm not popping in. And then you just disappeared. <laughs> well, that's a hell of a way to start a podcast, but it's you know. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that just means good things are about to happen. That's what, that's what we do, man. All right. I think that is Pat. Um, we got yeah. Pat back. Oh, my gosh. What happened, dude? Did we lose power? Are we still? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just in broadcast, so I assume so. I'm going to go look at I think at we're our still going, dude. Let's, let's keep yeah, it going. Yeah, it's still huh? live. All right. Oh, well, yeah, perfect. So we didn't yeah, have six minutes and okay. nine seconds in. Well, well hey. uh, apologies for my end. I think uh, Texas is still catching up with the power issues. <laughs> Bro, it's okay. I knew something was going to go wrong. And in the middle of that introduction, I was like, this is going too smooth right now. Like, why? <laughs> like, this is not This is not right. But okay. Yeah. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where we left <laughs> off, but I want to introduce this man right here to your top right corner. If you're watching in full broadcast mode, his name is Jonathan Lee, personal friend of mine for years. Me and him actually, little known fact, used to play in a band together at one point in our lives. And uh, he is onto something huge right now. Uh, welcome him proudly and warmly to the show jonathan lee ladies and gentlemen 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Yes. It's great to be here, man. Dude, yeah, man. so you are writing an incredible book, man. What led you? My first question for you is what what led you to write The Death of the Human Experience? Um, you know, to be completely honest, I was working at a school um, doing some uh, safety, security and some counseling for some of the middle school kids. And um, I just started picking up a lot of patterns and information, um, things that, you know, kids of my own children's age um, that I was experiencing from a different perspective, you know, being inside of the school and then being a parent at home with my kids at home that really started clicking to me that were alarming and um, and just uh, extremely impactful to me as a parent. So I started asking questions and looking into this stuff and uh, the school actually had to make cuts and dropped me before the next school year when I was actually planning a program to enlighten parents, children and educators alike about what I was uncovering. And uh, I at that point didn't know what the hell to do with my life and didn't know what direction I was going in. But I had nothing because I just lost my job and I was getting married in six weeks. And about two weeks after I uh, lost my job, I looked at my wife and it just was like a bomb dropped on me like an epiphany. I'm supposed to write a book. I'm supposed to put all this information that I have and start talking to families everywhere about it, not just the school. That's why, you know, God took this out of my life. That's why I have, you know, this position gone and I can deliver this information to a, a broader spectrum of people. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. So, so <clears throat> you, you saw detrimental effects uh to kids at a at an earlier molding stage uh that really really put something on your heart right yeah absolutely I, man yeah and so you being a father um and congratulations my friend you have a new one on the way thank you sir hey, thank you congrats yeah. i just had my yeah, three months ago he sure did oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not far behind you. Oh, man. Right. Yeah, it's crazy having a 14-year-old, 11-year-old, and then starting over in uh, six months, you know? Goodness. It's nuts to think about, but yeah. um, we're excited, so you know? Something's happening here. Something's happening. People chatting. Tell me my shirt's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, did Patty freeze? Oh, come on. Hey. Anyways, uh, your, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess he's still stuck for right now. Until that happens, oh, right. uh, yeah, just go and continue since we've got uh, got you live. Just kind of continue before you uh, left off. Yeah, I mean, you know, as Patrick was mentioning, um, the things I started recognizing at the school were just, you know, uh, kids were acting out in ways that were outside of their character, or outside of their moral compass, and uh, it really just didn't add up to the, the spirit of the child that I knew that I was, um, oh, there we go. Patty's back. There we are. So yeah, it didn't yeah, add awesome. up to the spirit of the ch children that I was getting to know. Um, these kids were doing things that were outside of their character and their, their moral compass. And, you know, I would, I'd start, uh, getting them to change some pretty poor behaviors by the end of a couple of weeks. And, and then a weekend with their parents, they'd come back and start developing the same poor behaviors again. I'm like, wait a second. I thought we fixed this last week, you know, um, and started asking a lot of questions as to what their family environments look like after a few months of recognizing that the only time that they were getting worse is when they were going home. And so, you know, being at school, being involved with somebody who cared, who was connecting with them, who was investing in them, who was having conversations and asking them questions that probably their parents should have been asking them, but they right. had never been asked before. 
Um, and it really just clicked like, holy crap, you know, what's, what is family life like for these kids nowadays? You know, I, I'm raising my kids in the best way that I know possible. So we talk about a lot of things. We talk about a lot of issues. We're very upfront and honest and open um, and vulnerable with our kids about things. You know, we live in a state where pot's legal. So it's a conversation we've already had with them at 14 and 11. Um, so, you know, there's, that's the type of stuff that comes up in our household. And, and I just was experiencing kids that were disconnected from their parents and the detriment that that um, can cause to a child's development um, psychologically, mentally, and emotionally is it's, it's just really alarming. And we have a society of parents that are overworked in America um, mm-hmm. that are either so attached to their job and their work hours and either the title or the, you know, the stack of money it's bringing in or the material things that they can buy with it. Um, or even just addicted to a screen as many people are these days. Um, you know, where the attention's off of the child and it's on everything else. And so children aren't getting the psychological attachment that's important for their brains to develop healthy amounts of gray matter and for them to have a very stable and, and um, you know, safe place to develop the frontal lobe of their brain where a lot of our human skills are housed. So when I started uncovering a lot of that research that was being done on the effects of you know, psychological detachment or psychological neglect, which it actually is, you know, we know that abuse is detrimental to the gray matter in the frontal lobe. Well, shoot, if we're feeding kids psychological, psychological neglect, isn't that going to also damage the gray matter in the frontal lobe during the developing stages, the most crucial stages of our human brain development? So that's kind of where I started. Well, yeah, that and was with the, the, uh, the vast amounts of, of mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, a little choppy, yeah, but there you are. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my connection. My wife's probably streaming something right now. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the no episode of would you, Okay, uh, if, it, if this gets through, would you say like a vast majority of the problems nowadays are due to the amount of screen time that the youth in general have? I think it has a lot to do with that, but I truly do believe that if we had more um, interactive parents, if we had parents that weren't overworked and that had the time to go home and invest in their kids and and not be exhausted or stressed out because they've got deadlines that they need to hit or this, you know, th- this document that needs to be done by Friday so that this company can make billions of dollars and they don't even get a bonus out of it. It's like, if we didn't have this society that's running a rat race that's, you know, impossible to get out of, then I believe that we would have parents there to set healthy boundaries with screen time, to set healthy boundaries around, um, you know, different things, uh, actions that kids take that can turn into really poor actions when they're out in the real world. Um, so I, I just think that we're almost in a parentless society um, to an extent and that we also you know, you know, and it's not even the parents' faults. They don't even know that they're involved in this, you know, detrimental behavior. Let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, from like a lot of our parents, that generation was, you know, they were overworked. They were working all the time. You know, they weren't always there. You know, if they were lucky, you know, the mom was working, you know, at home, you know, whatever it was, or they were both working. And so do you think that's a cultural change where now, 
it's even though everything's been modernized uh technology has come so far you know with screen time and all that kind of stuff that we haven't really seen a good emphasis of going back to the parent um child relationship that maybe we saw like way back in the day before i don't know maybe the 1920s before the hardworking yeah. uh, environment became a huge part of our american culture yeah i 100 percent yeah, I, I do believe um, it's just become cultural. And so and that's what I talk about a lot in the book. It's American culture at this point. And so how do we shift American culture to impact the development of our children? Because if you raise healthy children, you've got healthy adults and healthy citizens who turn into healthy politicians who write healthy policies and run a healthy country. And you don't have this uh, this need to be better or bigger than every single person all day long in order to just survive and get by because the American dream is, Hey, you put in these hours, you put in this time, you put in this work, you're going to get this big house and this big truck and this big boat and these big vacations. But the truth is how many people truly get that lifestyle out of all the time and energy they put in. It's very minimal, the return on your investment. Do you think we live too much in the pursuit <clears throat> of, you know, 20 years, 25 30 years down the line because that's what the american dream is supposed to you work hard you do all this stuff so you can retire you can live in a big house drive a nice car that kind of stuff do you think we live too much in that type of era versus living in the now like from a father i mean i'm sure you can relate to this as well as a father to me growing up and experiencing my own relationship with my my parents and seeing everyone else's when I had kids, I decided I'm going to live a little more in the minute in the now, because you're not going to get those memories back. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, we'll be willing to take those vacations now instead of having to wait, you know, because we don't have any kids anymore in the house. Right. No, I definitely think, um, you know, that we do live too much in that, you know, we're so focused on things that aren't right in front of us. Right. Um, like you said, the now, it, I think there's balance though. You know, there, there has to be sure. some sort of focus on the future in order to maintain stability, safety, a safety net, you know, um, and you can't predict everything. You know, you're going to get knocked on your ass sometimes by life. It's it's life, man. Um, but I think the more prepared you are um, and the better connected and um, and truly intertwined with your family, understanding of who your family is and what their abilities are, then you can survive a lot of things a lot better. So I think, you know, when we when we're so focused on the future so far out, um, we lose sight of what's, what's right in front of us. And we can see some, some pretty small decisions that could really affect us heavily as unimportant. And those were the most important decisions in our life. So an interesting thought I have is, do you think, do you think any of this like attriculates to not just the youth, but uh, the older generation too? So people around our age and our, in our thirties or Micah in his twenties, right now, say these people are which you have a lot more these days, like going live on Twitch, gamers, gamers for a living, people that are putting in 10 to 12 hours a day on games, you know, and they're still working their jobs, but they're still committing that. And that is still essentially screen time, 10 to 12 hours in front of a game. Right. And now I've yep. noticed in my personal life, I used to be one of those. I used to game a lot back in the day. And I'd probably put eight, nine hours easily into a game where life would just vanish by. And if anybody tried to take that controller out of my hand, if anybody even walked in front of that screen while I was playing Madden or Assassin's Creed or something, right, I would get offended. I would be like, 
you know, and you think, yep. and, and so this, my thing is like, <laughs> yeah, think about a, a child, right. And you, you're giving him his screen time, right. How many children have you seen that, that screen gets yanked and they're like, okay, you need to go in timeout. Cause you weren't listening to me. You were just on that screen and those kids just freak out. Yeah. Right. Well, yep. that was, that was me. That was, I mean, literally I'm in my twenties, I'm a grown ass man. And somebody walks in front of my, my thing and I throw a fit. You know, and it's kind of that yeah. same thing because we're getting such a, a dopamine level exchange, right? So absolutely. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, what's happening is we're we're growing addicts uh, day by day. I mean, re- screen time's releasing more dopamine than even heroin um, in our brains, and so you know, but you don't see parents putting heroin in the hands of their children yet. They're right. putting a iPad or a telephone in a three month old's hands to keep them occupied. Um, it, it's crazy. Like there's, uh, and now th- there's some studies that say that, um, that, you know, the release of, I guess, dopamine, the first time that you take heroin is going to be, um, obviously a lot more, but the, the way that it's, um, engaging our brains and releasing these levels of dopamine consistently as we're attached to it is actually affecting us in the same ways, um, that heroin can as an addict. It's, it's developing the same gray matter atrophy that addicts can, you know, develop from heroin uh, addiction I mean, as well. But I mean, like, it, it, it's, <clears throat> it's such a, a caveat, right? Because a kid's like throwing a fit. You can't get them to listen because they're just they're just doing a thing. So you give them a screen and all of a sudden they pipe down. So now that becomes mom and dad's e- antidote to control. Right. Yeah, it's easy, man. We've made life easy. Um, we don't have to get up off our butts to cook anymore. We can order food from the couch. We just press a button. We just, um, you know, we can order a girl that we want to go on a right. date with, you know, in yeah. the Swipe color right. of her hair and the color of her eyes. Yeah. And, yeah. and say yes or no. And at our fingertips, you know, it's it's crazy. We've created a world where we don't have to actually engage empathy or critical thinking or conflict resolution or communication and relationship skills anymore. Because those are truly um, best encompassed in a personal interaction. Um, so kind of circling back to a question you asked earlier about it affecting even adults. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I see it affect even me if I have too much screen time. I almost have a, this anxious feeling um, grow inside of me if somebody does, like you say, want to come up and get in front of the TV or, or turn it off. And it's like I'm watching a freaking basketball game. Right, right. I can pause it. Yeah. You know, I have the ability to pause that game. But there's a for certain some reason, type of chemical you're receiving from yes. something you're so heavily entertained to. But if you if you literally took that screen off, right, you're just looking at the wall, you know. Yeah. And it's like you're just looking yeah. at this black box, where you know, like if you took the picture out. And so, I mean, it's, that's that's rea- a reality check right there. We're know? in a yep. world of uh, in- of convenience, and I think that we have used screen time of any style, any type. I think when you once you get behind that screen, you subconsciously, I don't know if it's a chemical thing or or whatever it is, but you like to hide behind that. And the minute, you know, someone comes in front of your TV, they take away your your phone, your tablet, you instantly come back to a reality of like, hey, this is the real world. So when you escape into that, someone blocks that, you feel triggered, you feel, you know, threatened. And I feel like that's the kind of yep. culture we live in because we're so used to convenience. Absolutely. Well, and, and- Oh, I was just going to say real quick, like with all of that happening and everything that we just discussed up to this point, do would can there be an argument made that we're literally making and creating introverts? Uh, I think we're we're creating and uh, breeding 
addicts and narcissists mm-hmm. um, and, and mental well, health patients. Yeah, elaborate on narcissism. So, I mean, we're so focused on ourselves all the time and we paint yeah. pictures of ourselves and our lives all the time and live behind those pictures and choose to live, as you said, Micah, comfortably behind these pictures that aren't us all the time. And if somebody gets to see the, our real self, oftentimes there's an emotional outburst or some sort of anxiety or insecurity that comes up. When in reality, that's what we were meant to do. We were meant to be in fellowship and in communion and in community with one another. And that's where humans were meant to, to grow and to, to really understand ourselves. But um, because everything's so convenient, we're not even tapping into the, the real human experience anymore. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of where uh, I saw these kids really having these outbursts. They didn't know how to express themselves. They're, they're children, they're developing, they don't have the words or the communication skills, you know, like adults, but, um, and so it's natural to just physically react. I mean, the first thing that a child does when it's born to say, I need connection is kick and scream, you know, and let its mothers know, I want somebody to hold me and I'm also hungry. So um, well, I want to for... hint. I want to hint on that right there, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but you. you no, that's fine. I have, in, I have in my notes from your book exactly what you're hinting on right there. Uh, so I wanted you to speak about in your book you talk about Emperor Frederick II and the experiments, yeah. the experiments that he did on the infant uh, uh, humans, and yep. uh, and what they ended up dying on. If you could please elaborate to to the viewers on that. Yeah, man, it was interesting. So I had actually been delivered. um, I was driving for Uber and Lyft after I got let go from the school and decided I was going to write this book. I'm like, I need autonomy. I need to have control of my own schedule. And I need freedom to engage and connect with people, but also to go home and um, to pour out. So it was really cool that I was getting some interesting interactions. And we'll talk about one of those later, too, that was really influential on me continuing the writing process in this book. Um, but I was talking to a lady who was a psychologist and was kind of telling her about, um, everything we had going on. Uh, and, oh my gosh, I, sorry, lost my train of thought here. Question again. No, you're fine. You're fine. I'm talking about Frederick Douglass, the second, right. so, the, the infant human yeah. Yeah, experiments. Yep. So, so she brought up this, um, she brought up this, uh, study about human beings, adults in somewhere over in Europe being done and disconnecting them from human interaction for like three months. And they shut it down because adults started dying. She's like, I can't find it anywhere anymore, but I know it was a test that was done. I know it was an experiment that was done like some, and it was just done in the last like 20 years. If you can find it on the internet, you should find it. So I went searching for this thing and I couldn't find it anywhere which I'm not surprised in the world we live in, a lot of information, a lot of things that go on in our country and in the world as a whole are hidden from us and, you know, or, or kept from us. So um, I stumbled upon this article that uh, Micah just pulled up, I believe. And I started reading into this guy and I went, holy crap, this is exactly what she was talking about. Only this was with infants. And we're talking, I think it was back in 1250 or something like that. Yeah. So this guy, Emperor Frederick, um, also known, uh, nicknamed Emperor Frankenstein, he did some pretty sadistic and sick and twisted experiments on, um, you know, on uh, prisoners he'd have at his um, at his castle and keep. And and so he had told some nurses that he wanted to find out what the original language spoken on Earth was. And he had these 
infant kids and had these nurses take care of them, feed them, provide them water, shelter, but we're not to interact with them. And it was, I think it was within like three months, if I remember correctly, it's been so long since I actually um, so dove the, into this the, article. But The orders were to literally neglect except for the necessities. So the like necessities, bathing, absolutely. Bathing, yeah. feeding, and that's it. You, you don't talk to them after that or don't even acknowledge them, right? Yeah. The, you've got the first two levels of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs covered. You've got yeah. food and uh, water and safety and shelter covered. So you should be able to survive as a human being. So we thought. Um, but yet we've known for what are we talking, you know, almost uh, 900 years now that human yeah. beings can't survive without human interaction because all these children started dying within about three months and they all ended up dying because they were neglected. And his theory was that it was because of lack of love and interaction between human beings. Um, no, no child spoke any words. Um, there was no... N nothing of that. So it's just, um, it, it's something that really shut down. Yeah. yeah there's one right here that mm. uh, some of these children starved of any types of affection, you know, died simply because of lack of love. That's a huge what? statement. Now, it, now to, to pull off an experiment, like yeah. you got to be jacked up in the brain to do it. But so we learned from his crazy experiment. So he did it. And yeah. so basically what we have found out, if I'm hearing you correctly in that article, is that this guy gave him the necessities, food, in a bath, but that's it. And then they, they literally shut down on themselves due to neglection and died of that way, which until, yeah. until I was reading your book, until I was Googling the, this Frederick the second and all these experiments that mind you, people are, are logged in and absolutely true, uh, all documented. I didn't even know that was a possible thing. Yeah, you man. Know? I mean, it, it's incredible how important human connection is to the overall health of us mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, medically, it really is. And, and you, for a long time, this was hippie shit, right? This was stuff right. that, um, you know, we would laugh off or, uh, we would believe that it wasn't true. It was just magic and, and fluff. But the reality is there's physiological evidence of energetic effects on our body when we're in person and having conversations with human beings, but we don't see the same physiological effects behind the screen. So something's yeah. happening when we're in person with one another, we impact one another. Um, it's, it, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of human needs talks about food and water and safety and shelter, but then it talks about human interaction and connection is the third level. And it, you can't survive if you never reach the third level. Um, well, and we're like building, <clears throat> Well, think about all the times you get messages from your friends and they're like, miss you, buddy, miss you too, miss you, miss you, miss you. And then you start talking and talking, but then you finally get together. However long it is, you go on a snowboarding trip or like in your case, we were at your wedding and hanging out with a bunch of people there. Right. And there was such a distinct difference. You can say, I miss you all day long on Facebook or Instagram. You can, you can share pictures and until you're in that same breathable space with that other human that you appreciate. Nothing will ever come close to that. It's just like, and me and Micah talked about this, and, and obviously you being in the music industry too, live stream concerts, right? It takes the human connection out of it because you're not there. You're just literally watching people on stage through a process sound through your computer, right? And yep. so that's a part of the human connection gone right there. So literally that attriculates over to being in person, being in person at a concert being in person with your friends, just somebody you've talked to all the time that you can bullshit with 
but you get in the same room with them and there's this energy difference. And I mean, people pay attention to it. I mean, you're, you're, you're writing a book about it. You're so correct in this, but we're all human people. And so you obviously know this, like with, with your family, with friends around, you get together, you have a get together, but we've been yeah. deprived of that due to the COVID thing. Neighbors narking on neighbors can't even, yeah. you got to stay six feet away. So the human connection now is even more at a disadvantage, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's e extremely palpable um, in our country right now how disconnected we are, um, not just from, you know, red and blue and black and white and all the other colors that we, you know, and, and halves right. we can throw out in this country, but truly from who we even are as human beings. Uh, I think that this has opened some people's eyes to see how important human connection is. And I think that there's some communities, you know, I'm grateful and thankful that I live in a community where we have kids playing together outside. We have neighbors drinking beers together outside and and still sharing, you know, um, food and knocking on each other's door and sharing leftovers with one another saying, hey, here's a warm meal that I thought you might like. I mean, it's I feel like I live in the, you know, the 80s again. Well, right. Um, where I live. Right. And so it kind so. of feels outdated, doesn't it? It's outdated, man. It's yeah. Um, we're. I feel like I'm a dinosaur. Uh, you know, living in a totally new age. But, um, I if I don't conform and I don't convert, then I might not survive financially or fiscally. You know, in this world. So I I have to find a way, and this book is it. I feel it, and in my spirit and my soul, like I have to find a way to talk about what's important to me, which is getting back to a healthy, stable family environment so that we can start getting back to a healthy, stable political environment and a healthy, stable balance of, you know, human experience and life um, before it gets out of control. Um, I mean, my wife and I um, and my kids were in the car just uh, two weeks ago on Valentine's Day. We were going to meet up with another uh, family that we're friends with and uh, we were about two blocks away from this bowling alley and this guy sw uh, swerved to the left and almost slammed into our car. And I, uh, you know, out of sheer reaction, honked the horn to let him know that he had almost hit us. Next thing wow. you know, we get over in the right to get away from him because he starts brake checking us and he tries to slam our car again. And we have to accelerate to the right to get away from him. And he pins us in to where we hit head on into two parked cars and total our vehicle. Now, wow. I tell you this story. Because I feel bad for the guy. The guy had such an emotional response to a horn being honked because he almost put somebody's life in danger that he needed to emotionally react out of, of frustration of that horn and that sound or even maybe feeling exposed that he did something wrong and put somebody else at a, more of a detriment. We see this type of activity in our society so much. Um, so, if so it doesn't like agree... That Oh yeah. Sorry. But oh, so when things like that happen, right. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, okay. So when you're, when you're on your screen and you're just looking at your phone and stuff, like you're in a bubble where, where nothing else exists, but that screen. Right. So when you're yeah. driving and you're alone in your car and you hear that you're still in your bubble. Right. And there's still no connection due to, you know, metal fabrications in your car separating yes. you from the other metal fabrications. And, and so there, you're still in that bubble. So it's the same thing. Instead of a screen got you going here, you got the road going here, but you're protected. You're still in your introvert zone. And you so nailed heard, it, man. He heard that yeah. horn and he lost his emotional response. Now, had he have seen your kids 
had he had seen you face to face, had he had been able to talk to you about why you hawked that horn, but you can't do that because we're all in our little bubbles. We're all in a rush and we're all when we're driving and don't say you don't anybody listening to this. <laughs> we're all looking at our phones, baby. <laughs> you know, like, yep. Hey, <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I'm not writing this book because I'm perfect. I'm writing this book right. because I see some problems that I think we have solutions to um, within us and within the palm of our hands. But I really do think that we're uh, we're not set up for success in our culture in America for us to thrive within the human experience, which is that connection and interaction. Um, it's the way we enlighten one another. It's the way that we, uh, we grow smarter. It's the way ideas grow and, and, um, you know, and, and end up becoming something greater than they ever could have if it was just one man. I mean, there's, uh, there's importance to connection. I mean, shoot, if you're a believer or, or even if you're not, um, there needed to be interaction between man and woman physically, they needed to connect in order for procreation to take place and our race to survive. So connection is the most important piece to all of humanity, if you ask me. And in our country, we're so focused on replacing real connection with false connections like the one we're on right now. This is a great forum to stay connected with people you're not close to. It's also yeah. a great forum to take you away from any true human experience because I could say something to you right now that could cause you to be completely offended or even question yourself for the rest of your life to the point that you want to take your life. The problem is I can shut the screen and walk away. There's no accountability, just like there isn't in that car, because you're in a metal box where you can destroy somebody else's life and drive away. So there's no accountability held anymore. And instead of accountability, I believe in this country, we we appease problems rather than solve them. We don't hold people accountable. We just say, oh, that offended somebody. Let's change something rather than going, is this a true problem or is this something that needs to be talked through and maybe just decided that we disagree and that's okay. You know, we need to change the whole world for it. So um, I, I feel like the empathy has gone. Uh, you know, there's no empathetic response if I shut that screen and I don't see you hurting, crying, you know, or maybe even distraught, wondering how you're going to survive through the thought that you're this worthless after the statement I made. Um, you know, it doesn't take much communication skills to type something out and sit here and think of a response every time that you see a post and to be clever after a half hour of rewriting something. You know what it does take? Uh, you know, it does take communication skills and critical thinking and conflict resolution when you make that statement in person. And you feel the empathetic response kick in because it hurt their feelings. And you have to think, oh, my gosh, how am I going to make this right? What am mm -hmm. I going to do? Because I'm a human yeah. being and I don't like the way that made that person feel because I wouldn't like the way it made me feel. So now I have to talk to this person and engage my communication skills. I have to resolve the conflict by figuring out how I'm going to make this right. And that's all because my empathetic response kicked in. And now I'm critically thinking about all of that stuff. And you know what? Once I communicate to you and I get your forgiveness, I've just started to build a relationship. So I've engaged my relationship building skills. All five of those skills in the frontal lobe that I said are being detrimented by the screen time and also by many other things. It's like a 20-legged dog um, that we need to have all legs working at the same time um, in order for this thing to start running the right way. But right now, I think we have like 18 broken legs and a couple legs that could work if we even knew what the heck they were. Mm. I still think that goes like a lot of what <laughs> you're saying goes back to the inconvenience. Cause while I think screen sharing and all that kind of stuff is a huge, you know, issue part of it. I think also like the ability for humans to actually interact with each other and be honest 
I think that if they broke that barrier, like, for instance, let's say, like, you've got a conflict with a friend. If you don't actually talk about that conflict, if you don't actually try and see their perspective and they see yours, you're never going to get anywhere. And then you're Absolutely. never a, a real, like, you're not a real definition of the word friend or even right. brother or, or blood, whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, or just human being, let's call it, you know, I mean, we're, exactly. we're here to connect and help one another out, um, you know, and yeah, it's going to be dirty and, and uncomfortable and it's going to be, you know, offensive sometimes um, in order for us to grow though. We're, it's just like a muscle, man. Our, our, our brains grow just like a muscle, you know, you, nobody, let's be honest, guys, we all work out. We all want to look good, right? We all like having ourselves in shape. We feel better. We function better. We sleep better. We're happy happier. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives that come through from it, but if I could take a pill or if I could just snap my fingers and have a six pack tomorrow, huge pecs, big boulders for shoulders and uh, feel as good as I do when I spend every single day working out and doing cardio and focusing on my diet, then I would do that. I'd just snap my fingers and have it done because that's ultimately I want to, I want the feeling right. But the, the beauty of life, the beauty of the human experience is what you said, Micah, the work, the discomfort, the, the displeasure, the, because that's where the growth comes from. Muscles yes. don't grow yes, unless it. you tear them down and you got to go in there and you got to do uncomfortable movements with uncomfortable weights that nobody really wants to do. If anybody, even bodybuilders say, I wanted to get big this exact way, it's bullshit. They right. <laughs> you know, like truthfully, man, I did bodybuilding. If I could have snapped my fingers and won a gold medal, stand on stage looking great and had all the girls after me, like, you know, well, the, the hard work paid off. Like, yeah, I want and, and no, no, and you're absolutely right. And so do you think that leads me to like, ask this question is, do you think that innovation and technology and all these new inventions that are just literally more convenient, like you, you hinted on earlier, all we got to do now is tap a button and foods at our doorstep, you know? And so do you think that all this innovation technology, new inventions and everything for convenience has led to the death of the human experience? One, I absolutely attribute a lot of it to it. Uh, a life of ease does not bring growth. Um, and if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Just like mm. muscles will atrophy if you don't use them. Um, the brain will atrophy and the parts of the brain that you're not using will atrophy if you don't use them. Think about how many addresses and how many phone numbers you remember from your friends and from your parents and your family from when you were kids. 33644 Breckenridge Trail, Lake Elsinore, California. Yeah, That was my address from when I was eight until I was 13 years old. And how do I remember that? old woman living there is going to get robbed. So... <laughs> But I mean, you could <laughs> no, remember this yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, you know, these yeah. were things that, and now I can barely remember my wife's phone number because it's on my phone. It's there. Right. I don't have to do it. I don't have to remember it. I don't have to cook food. I don't have to put an effort to meet a girl. All I can do is like send her a dick pic. And if she likes the way it looks, she might show up to my house and just want me to put a ring on it in six months because she likes my, you know, six story house and my fancy car. And the money that that provides, you know, the lifestyle that provides her. Like, well, and how many is... people are resorting to that? Tinder's Tinder's a what? A Fortune 500 company now? So man, we have we have Tinder, we have Chime, we have Bumble on the the jerseys of professional basketball players. Right. Yeah. We're telling people to lower your worth, your self worth, to not put in any effort in life, 
and to hope that that's going to pay off with a healthy, bountiful relationship. You know, the worst now, part about that hope- is, no, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think the worst part about that is people that aren't that, that are willing to put the work in and be a little uncomfortable and go above and beyond, they're looked down on as troublemakers or as like we we're part of this podcast, the guilty party. Right. Yeah, we're shunned, man. We're looked at as out, like you said, outcasts, and as almost like a disease. Like, I opened a car door for a girl most of the time when I was dating, and they'd look at me like I was a problem. Like, what are you doing? I can handle that myself. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know yeah. you can, but I was just trying to be a gentleman. Are you yeah, that like, offended what? that I was trying to be a gentleman? This is so weird. Okay, I, well then, yeah. I'll, yeah. Next time, I'll make sure I put the roses at your feet so you can step on them before we go on our dates yeah instead of put them in a vase inside i mean (laughs) it's just it's really a weird culture that we've built but i you know mike i think you hit it on the head too our parents didn't know what they were doing and as human beings if we don't like we don't know what we don't know and tvs came out in the 60s commonly in homes um, you know, advertising that was psychologically, uh, you know, influenced to make these people buy and that we're doing it from a scientific level to make sure that we were buying and consuming more than ever. So we weren't getting any wealthier. We weren't getting any healthier because we we're, you know, exposed to advertisement for things that were unhealthy to us, like mm. the foods, the processed and over-preserved foods you know, um, which also don't help develop a lot of gray matter when you're going through your developmental stages. And then we overworked parents too in the sixties, you know, the good movements, women's right movement and all this stuff. But now we have the dual, uh, you know, income family system. So both parties are going because life's expensive. They've got so much stuff they've got to pay for. So now what do we do instead of cutting the hours for parents and sending them home to these kids, we just create the TV dinner which is even more nutritional, nutritionally, uh, you know, invaluable to their system. And now they're sitting behind the TV screen, which is detrimental to their gray matter development. They're eating food that doesn't help develop gray matter. And they're receiving psychological neglect from their overworked parents who are coming home exhausted and don't have any time for them. So they're receiving almost a double or triple atrophy of gray matter in the frontal lobe. We're not even growing humans at that point. And so their wandering mm. minds are looking mm. for answers, right? And then they hear yes. this, they hear a song, they watch a video on YouTube, they do they find something out there because when you're when you're a young they person, turn to we us. All are, exactly they they turn we're to looking us. for answers. Yeah. We are so many questions in our head. And when we find that artist, we find that movie that answers one of those questions, we latch on to it. And then we start following that behavior because you know what? That person matters to me that's not even real in that show because that one show answered a question I'd been asking for years and I got yeah. neglect and I never got that question answered, but now I do. So I'm following that guy. So does you it know? go yeah. back to, to role models? Because I mean, think about it. Who is the, the role models back, let's say, um, in our age, uh, you know, the 90s or the early 2000s? Oh, bro, it was, un- it was undoubtedly Stone Cold Steve <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly, crushing PBRs <laughs> right and left. Yes, <laughs> yeah. but think about it like us. Uh, so, like now in this day and age, it's more apparent than ever with screen time uh, on role models. When it comes to like how do we portray the the human family or the American family in this this world, um, dads are looked down upon as they can't take care of their own kids. 
that yep. when they help their wives, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you're doing a good job, like great job. It's like, no, we're a team. I can parent just as much as my wife can. Um, yeah. And then like you see kids just running around doing whatever. There's no discipline. There's and I think that there's two extremes of discipline we see, you know, in this day and age. It's harsh because well, they think that they know what's best for their kid or the complete opposite where they get let them get away with anything. So if we take that back to, say, the the 90s, I don't remember because I, I probably wasn't old enough to understand what I was seeing. But what was like the role models back then that if we're seeing that back then we're growing up to now have our own kids and, you know, have our kids have their experiences. Do you think it goes mm-hmm. back to role models of who we're seeing and how we're interacting with to teach our own kids? Yeah. I mean, I, again, it, and I hate to bring up the word connection again, but it's like, I truly believe it's what we're connected to, right? We didn't have all that stuff to distract us. We didn't have, you know, iPads and cell phones in our pockets with big screens connected to the internet. Hell, I barely had the internet when I was in middle school and high school, you know, so we didn't around have 91. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so you have, we didn't have the ease again of connection to these 